0: What you want more than anything is you want to meet people with different experiences and I've always sort of found you would see things that you would not automatically have come across.
1: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another sunny day in a rather quiet city of Westminster as once again, we make sure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership and current affairs and in today's episode, an in-depth look at that inner power within each and every one of us. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on the air today by Joanna Brett, the CEO and owner of Starjumps Children's Centre. StarJumps is an independent assessment, treatment and support service for children and young people which helps young people with conditions such as autism, ADHD, dyspraxia, sensory processing difficulties, developmental trauma and mental health conditions. The centre was founded 30 years ago by occupational therapist Jill Christmas, with Joanna Brett, also an occupational therapist, taking over in 2011. Joanna has since expanded the centre to offer a wide range of integrated and holistic services, pioneering approaches and support for parents, teachers and healthcare professionals. Dr Georgie Siggers, a leading consultant paediatrician, joined Joanna and the team in 2013, and she has been integral to the development of the diagnostic services and to the post-adoption support that Starjumps offers. StarJumps itself is located in a bespoke centre set in beautiful countryside in Crowborough, East Sussex, and helps thousands every year, both locally, UK-wide and internationally. Joanna and her team are passionate about taking a proactive early intervention approach, which addresses the often complex needs of the children they support, and which helps to protect against the development of secondary mental health conditions. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present... Joanna Brett. Joe, very warm welcome to you and many thanks for joining us on the programme today.
0: Thank you, Scott. It's lovely to um, have this opportunity to
1: speak to you. It's an absolute pleasure having you on the air. Now, Joe, you're, of course, um, a children's centre that provides a multitude of services for children and young people with neurodevelopmental conditions. I understand the centre sees um, around about 2,000 children per year, I believe I'm correct in saying that, and employs also yes. around 15 people with 25 associates as well. So, tell me, with everything going on at the moment with the whole COVID-19 situation, how has it been for you in your line of work navigating the last few weeks? Because I can imagine the challenges have been quite immense.
0: Yes, they have indeed. Um, As so many other organisations had to do, we had to um, lock down and uh, stop seeing our children and families face to face. So within about two weeks, we have very quickly adapted to providing services with video link communications such mm. as Zoom and um, you know for some of the team members it's been easier than others but for all of us it's been um, a, a big change and also as a very close knit team I think we've all found it quite hard not seeing each other in person We're obviously having meetings with Zoom calls to catch up and using technology to to work on things together from a distance, but it's has, yeah, it's had a very big impact on on us as a team, mm,
1: and as well as and, of course, um, yes. On the way we work. No, carry on, Jo.
0: Oh, sorry, um, and, and and on the way that we can provide support. I think a lot of mm. our families initially were feeling, as we were as well, quite overwhelmed with um, the change in our day-to-day lives, and so um, for some of them they've taken a little bit of time before they've been ready to to perhaps try some video link communication appointments or assessments but now we're starting to see people embracing that support.
1: It's really positive to see that um, the support is um, going down really well. And how have you found the uh, the transition to uh, remote working? Because I understand for some businesses and some organisations it's been quite a seamless transition, but for others it's been a little bit more of a monumental challenge, almost like taking Rome down and having to rebuild it in a day as it were.
0: Um, well, fortunately, um, we have been using technology quite a lot within within our work and we Um, have been doing broadcasts and um, live um, webinars. And so we're used to using technology to a certain extent. But for our, for example, diagnostic assessment, we've had to really work as a team to research how other other organisations who've been doing online assessments for a long time have been doing them and see how we can adapt what we do to that kind of format. For example, our paediatrician has now developed um, a three-stage assessment process where the first stage is a video-linked consultation. Following that, if the family and our paediatrician, Dr Georgie Sigurd, feels it's appropriate to proceed to doing some online Um, video-linked assessment, there'll be a second stage where where the second stage of the assessment with some standardised tests are done through that communication. And then a third stage, which will be the face-to-face final part of the assessment when we can be face-to-face. So we've had to put in a lot of work to uh, adapting how we deliver that kind of a service. Some of the other talking therapies we offer for example um, psychological support from clinical psychology that's been quite easy to um, do with online appointments. Um, the occupational therapy has been a little bit more challenging and we have had um, sessions starting now where we're doing shorter sessions with children but they're actually really enjoying engaging um, with therapists and the speech and language therapy has been um, very quick. To go online, and um, Liz Van Gran, one of our, which uh, is well, our leading speech and language therapist, she is um, being very creative with how she's using Zoom. For example, she's got wonderful virtual backgrounds where she's got dinosaurs b- behind her, you know, that look like they're chasing each other, and she's getting a lovely interaction with the children. And then maybe switching to other pictures behind her where she's got objects. Um, and it's you know it's a different way of working but it can be very effective
1: it certainly can and um, would you say that working in this way has uh, benefited you so far
0: well i would say that um we're not having the usual amount of sessions or um contact that we would have had face to face but we've always been looking to develop our online resources and support and so that's been very positive because it's very much fast-forwarding us to do that for the future and we do have quite a lot of children who come from abroad to visit us here so it is um pushing us forward in um developing what we do to be able to be accessed by people much further afield which is is a benefit
1: Absolutely, and um, is it perhaps possible to embrace these solutions to perhaps um, satisfy the need for more private assessments, especially um, at, at this sort of time?
0: Yes, yes. So we we are able to um, offer um, private assessments, and I think the feeling amongst our team is that we we for many of the private assessments would still want to have a final. Face to face appointment, but in our research, we're finding that there are other companies, um, especially in America, who've been doing online work for you know over ten years. So we are looking into that and seeing whether we can possibly develop um, some of the assessments so that they could be all online and and, and not require face to face. Mm,
1: that's um really interesting because um I can imagine that um with everything going on, the strain on the NHS is probably as big as it ever has been. And so um, your personal approach um, at Star um it differs from um, the conventional way of doing things, doesn't it, if I understand correctly?
0: Yes, you're right. And then just to comment on your point about the strain on the NHS, um, we know that a lot of children who come to us have been waiting more than two years to have a diagnostic assessment for example for autism or ADHD mm. and um we've had we've taken on contracts from the NHS to help them with their waiting lists in the past obviously with this period of lockdown right now those waiting lists are going to be increasing and those families are going to be not having any support so um you know, we feel quite concerned about when we do, um, when we are able to open up again, that there, there will be a, a greater demand on the NHS and, and perhaps on us. And so, being able to offer online is is um, something that is available to families. Um, then, the other part of your question about how we are. Um, perhaps Slightly different from a conventional approach. Uh, if I just sort of outline how we are different and then talk a- about it in relation to waiting lists
2: mm-hmm.
0: and how the NHS works with assessments in many cases. So, with Star Jump, we're very much a health orientated approach that we adopt, whereas, often with conventional um, medicine and the conventional approaches, they may be more disease orientated. So, looking at um, a diagnosis, or a system, or one particular particular issue. Um, we have specialists in lots of different fields in uh, in medicine, and we are very um, dedicated to having a holistic and bespoke kind of approach rather than set pathways. In the NHS, for example, many authorities are have single. Pathways for assessment. So, for example, if your child is thought to have autism, they will be put on the autism pathway for assessment. And the kinds of children that we see, and many, well, every, every child is likely to have overlapping conditions or overlapping strengths and difficulties. And if you're only looking at one single diagnosis, you're not then able to pick up if they may also have symptoms of ADHD, for example, or sensory processing and coordination difficulties. So um, by offering holistic and integrated assessments, we're able to uh, look at the whole child in, in relation to their family and to difficulties they may have had with their health over time and um, look at how they're functioning in school and how the whole picture weaves together so that we can make sure any help we provide is going to address all those different um, difficulties that they have and build on their strengths. So um, the conventional approach tends to be very diagnostic-centred, as I said, and we like to be very child-person-centred. Um. The conventional approach tends to address symptoms, whereas we really look like to like to look at root causes and underlying reasons why a child may be presenting with different difficulties, behaviours um, and challenges. and we also consider biochemical individuality, and often conventional medicine will ignore um, the nutritional kind of biochemical individuality of the children that they might see and part of that is because in um, medical training doctors may only get one lecture on nutrition which when we consider that the founder of modern medicine uh, said let thy medicine be thy food and thy food be thy medicine um, we've sort of veered away from that core um, foundation for Um, healing and looking after our health and we believe very strongly in a preventative approach whereas often um, conventional medicine has to take a reactive approach and and some of that Mm. is as a result of limited resources and limited funding Um, and I I do respect that the NHS really tries to be as preventative as possible but often um, they're limited in what they can do and I think it would be great to see change in that way
1: and do you think that going forward there's certainly a place for functional medicine solutions as well
0: yes so functional medicine is really big in America for example and it really just um, is a way of looking at um, nutrition and lifestyle and um, the whole the whole combination of our genetics and our um, biological functioning to improve long-term health and it's a really good way of creating change in the health of the child and the family um, so I don't know if you know the term epigenetics it's um, a whole new um, it's, it's becoming more and more recognised as a way of being able to um, change the expression of your genetic code So, for example, with good healthy eating, with making sure you don't have nutritional deficiencies and with good lifestyle where you're getting exercise and good sleep and um, doing activities that can help you feel um, calm and well, you can actually change how your genes might be expressed if you didn't follow those better ways of looking after your body and your mind. Um, so. We're very excited recently to have Dr. Liz Corcoran join the team. She is she was originally um, working as a psychiatrist, and she has changed um, to take a functional medicine approach to helping people with their health. And she's working with our team, with our clinical nutritionists, with our paediatricians, occupational therapists, and the whole team to help support people to. Um, address different difficulties they might be having with their health but also things like behaviour can be very much affected by what we're putting into our bodies and how we're looking after ourselves and she will look at um the timeline of a child's life or if it's working with um, adolescents or adults as well um what has happened during their lives that may have impacted their health for example trauma can um cause um, a real uh, physical reactions in the body that can affect um, development and um, stress levels and development of diseases and mental health conditions. So we're really excited about being able to offer this approach because it really helps to protect the long-term health and, and really to promote optimal functioning. Um, myself personally, I came across this approach just through personal experience when I was in America a long time ago and it really changed my life and has made me very passionate about how it can change other people's lives
1: Mm, and it certainly seems now it's a good time to take stock and really focus on that particular approach to uh, create change within uh, the, uh, the family environment specifically. Um, also, um, Yes. Yeah, um, what's also um, coming to the fore at the moment uh, during this pandemic as well, Joe, is that um, as well as, of course, physical health and avoiding um, contracting uh, COVID-19, there's a renewed emphasis on mental health as well, especially with the impact of the UK lockdown, having certain freedoms-restricted, having to uh, remain at home and really supporting mental health is another issue of huge importance right now
0: absolutely i couldn't agree with you more i think we're all feeling a bit um kind of overwhelmed with what's happening we're um all of us in a in a very changed environment and um have a lot of things going on to often be very worried about, and, and children, of course, are going to be picking all of this up, and we know they are, um, and it's going to have um, be affecting all of our mental health. Our, um, Dr. Liz did a Facebook Live last week to talk about supporting health during this period in particular, and she touched on the fact that a lot of people are going through a grief process, and that this huge change in our circumstances is actually triggering in a lot of people past trauma and um, that they're going through a kind of grief process so um, we are very concerned for our children and families um, who are at home trying to homeschool children trying to work trying to manage their finances and and all sorts of other um, stresses who are quite isolated and fortunately there's a lot of stuff which is coming out online and a lot of support online Mm. which um, we're also trying to contribute which is free for people to access um, to support those people but um, well not to support those, to support everyone Um, and yes mental health is a really big concern right now and it's very worrying to think about how the impact of the lockdown might be affecting Um, the people who are really struggling we see a lot of young people who come to us who are self-harming and suicidal who um, haven't been able to get help through the NHS and are on waiting lists and it's very worrying to think about those children right now those children young people who are struggling
1: And I think technology, again, certainly has a role to play here in keeping us connected and having a knock-on effect on mental health as a result of keeping connected and making sure that that support network is there.
0: Yes, it does. Um, We've found that a lot of families and children have engaged really well um, with video link communications, but some of them actually find it stressful and haven't wanted um, to engage. Although... Mm talking to Dr. Geordie Sigurds the other day, she said that some some young people were coming on to a Zoom call and were starting off with their video switched off and just watching what was going on and then became more comfortable and actually would then switch on their video. And she said that it has really added to her her uh, her assessment in many ways because she's seen children and young people at home in their own environment where they felt quite comfortable and so that there have been you know some positive um, benefits and um, given her new insights into um, the cases that she might be working with by seeing them in the home environment
1: I think it's a case of adaptability isn't it and just understanding the people who are linking in and being able to essentially cater for their needs more than anything
0: absolutely we like everyone, we're trying to be as flexible and as uh, um, adaptable to people's individual needs. So, if somebody just wants a very brief um, appointment, consultation, or chat, we can do that um, and, and build it up, or just do you know as and when people need the support. Just to um, just one thing, I wanted to say um, uh, in support of mental health during this time. Is that um, the functional medicine, a sort of nutrition and lifestyle approach? It's a great time right now for families with young people who've got difficulties to be really thinking about exploring this mm. because the children, your children are not going to school, you're at home, you can really see um, what they're eating all throughout the day. You can, the whole family can support whatever changes might need to occur to um, promote their health and well-being and their mental health. Um, Whereas in normal times, a child would be going to school and sometimes it's very difficult to support changes when when a child's not at home the whole time. We often will say to families, holiday times are a really good time to try and make change like this. And um we do offer Dr Liz does offer a free um fifteen minute phone call to explore whether a family might consider that this would help them. So so we are offering that and we're really trying to encourage people to um look at their health and well being, mental health and physical health uh at this time and and, and to access what online support there is and and we've got a number of Facebook lives. Next week we're doing one on anxiety. Liz is going to be talking about anxiety from a functional medicine approach um, which I think will be very helpful.
1: That does certainly seem um, incredibly interesting. And I think you are right when you say that it is a time to really consider things and take stock. And I think that is particularly relevant um, in the education sector and how it caters for the needs of children with neurodiversity and additional needs. Um, First and foremost, it is quite a challenge um, securing education and healthcare plans which support additional needs in school in the first place, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. It's become increasingly difficult since um, education and healthcare plans were introduced for families to actually even get a plan. And they're having to often go to tribunals to fight to get a plan, which just isn't right. Um, And we're trying to support families where children do need plans. Uh, a lot of children with conditions like autism and ADHD are um being excluded from schools and suspended from school because they're struggling to cope without the support that they need and we also find that a lot of children can mask their difficulties in school so um they manage to go through the school day as a perfect perfectly behaved pupil but when they get home, everything mm-hmm. falls apart. And when families are coming to the schools to say, you know, our child has difficulties, a lot of families are not being believed. And because they're not accessing NHS assessments and support, the families are then having to go to independent organisations like ours to get assessments and support and then get having to get legal help as well to fight for the support that their children need. So we're concerned about um, the support for children with neurodiversity in schools.
1: And as well as that, when, of course, um, there are pupils who do manage to uh, secure those um, education and healthcare plans and get access to the support they need, there is a shortage of the specialist capacity of skills within school staff to actually treat these pupils, aren't there?
0: Absolutely, and um, therapists, for example, in the NHS, have very strict criteria for what um, what types of difficulties they can help, and very often they are restricted to just doing occasional visits to a child to support, maybe a child with um, significant physical difficulties, like cerebral palsy, to. Um, help them with their seating or their feeding in school, whereas children who might be having behavioural difficulties, who might be on the autism spectrum, um, are unlikely to be really getting very much support. And we're also concerned that um, as a result of um, the uh, lack of resources in the NHS, therapists are actually losing the hands-on skills because they're not having opportunities to give treatment to um, children. Oh. And and that's of a great concern as well.
1: Absolutely, because um, if these children are not getting the support that they need, it can lead to a whole raft of new issues, can't it? Such as social isolation and also mental health issues.
0: Absolutely, Um and it can be incredibly stressful for um, parents who then have to give up jobs, stay at home and um, try and homeschool their child. So uh, the children who are being excluded do feel very socially isolated and um, their self-esteem can plummet, their motivation um drop and then really struggle academically from that point onwards, um, which will limit their opportunities in later life and also can very quickly lead to very serious mental health conditions. So it's very important that children get help early. And um, I was really pleased to see recently about um, the uh, Dutch Cambridge taking um, a step forward in looking at early intervention for very young children because it's so key to have the help as soon as you can, and not just with young children, but if an adolescent child is um, presenting with um, symptoms of a mental health condition, the sooner they can get help, the less likely it is to lead to a more serious condition and to other other. Uh, difficulties with their lives and their futures. So, um,
1: getting the help early is so important. It is hugely important. And uh, for those who do need to be helped um, quite early on because they didn't necessarily get the best start in life, we've talked already about um, how functional medicine could work really well at this time. Could that potentially be um, a solution that could be brought in for those people too?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, Post-adoption support does fund multidisciplinary assessments for children where a paediatrician, occupational therapist and speech and language therapist and psychologist may be involved. And it will fund certain kinds of therapies for children who've been adopted or who are looked after. But functional medicine is not something that's considered to be um, eligible for funding, and children who don't get the best start in life may have experienced trauma, neglect, exposure to drugs and alcohol, and poor nutrition, both um, when they're in the womb and and when they're born, which can lead to chronic physical and mental health conditions. And functional medicine can promote optimal functioning and protect their health and well-being, improving their opportunities later in life. so adverse childhood experiences has been found through research to increase risk factors for long-term problems um, for future life. So we feel very strongly and passionately that children who don't have a good start in life need to have this approach um, funded so that they um, can optimize their future. Um, and lead happy, healthy lives as much as possible. And um, I think there is a lack of understanding of how this early kind of trauma and neglect and nutritional deficiency can affect behaviour and development. And um, there will be more research which will come out over time, but we really need to be talking about this change now.
1: And I think now is as good a time as any, uh, this time that we're taking to uh, sit back and reflect uh, while all this is going on. And it all seems to boil down to one thing, making sure that these children who haven't had best starts in life, who may be suffering from um, um, neurodiversity needs, like it's all about making sure that their prospects in life do not suffer, isn't it, in the long run. That's the whole purpose of making sure they get this support quickly that they need.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And and I think you know we we see a lot of children who come to us who, who may not uh, meet the uh, criteria for a diagnosis. They may just be struggling in some some part of their life and need some support. And mm. really, to just keep a child feeling good about themselves, their self esteem, and their health and well being can just transform um, their their outlook on life and, and their future. And just to say it's so important um, that the way we work with the children and young people is enjoyable and fun and that um, we're empowering them and inspiring them and their families and um, helping them to take responsibility for their own health rather than feeling they need to go and be given this, that or the other. We're really hoping that people will um, feel empowered, and all the children who come to see us have their own superpowers, <laughs> and we like to help help them acknowledge, and those around them acknowledge, you know, their superpowers, so they can really build on those and um, build their self esteem.
1: And I think it is wonderful that you're looking to expand um, that offering um, in that way there, Joe. And um, if we think about um, the Parliamentary Review article that uh, you wrote that was published in January this year, just for those of you who haven't read it, I understand that you were looking to uh, launch a charity this year, StarRise.org, which was geared toward offering support to families who can't afford private services. Um, with the whole situation at the moment, um, is that still panning out quite well, or has that very much sort of been put on hold for the minute
0: well um, I'm sad to say that with um, the lockdown and the the current climate that we're in we've had to put that on hold Um, we're aware that so many charities who are already really well established are struggling and it's obviously not the right time to be setting up a charity we've got um, some parents who've worked with us who have been volunteering and helping us to do the groundwork for setting up the charity Star Rise which we planned to launch this year, but we've we've had to put that on hold for now. Mm,
1: it's it's a shame to hear that, but hopefully, of course, it is something that can be picked up again once we start to see the the fog clearum, as it were, with everything going on and restrictions starting to uh, to be eased. Um, in yes, your-
0: absolutely, we've had that planned for years now, so a few weeks of this isn't going to mm. <laughs> isn't going to put it off. Our agenda
1: yeah that, that's really really good to hear Joe. and um as well um I can imagine that in your line of work um in particular um there's so much um to be um, inspired by of course by children by other people working within the industry um are there any examples of people who stick out that have really inspired you during your career and maybe even influenced your way of leadership within star jumps that's a good question
0: I haven't um There are so many people. I'm trying to think. um, So, I mean, in this country, I would say somebody who I feel is very inspirational at the moment and who is getting more and more well-known is Rajan Chatterjee. I don't know if you know of him who has written a book about, I think it's The Five Pillars of Health, and he's on television quite a lot. After his son became very seriously ill and he discovered it was a nutritional deficiency he's gone on to work in the functional medicine field and he's um, really promoting looking at the root causes of um, health problems so he's somebody I would say. um,
1: It's a really really interesting example there and um, I think it's important to remember when we think about leadership generally that sometimes as a society, we are quite tempted to think of good leaders as being people who are in the public eye, essentially celebrities, people who are maybe politicians, sports personalities, whereas leadership is about inspiring, isn't it?
0: It is completely about inspiring. I, and y- your comment there has prompted me to think of my father, who's a GP, um, retired now, but um, who's, you know passion for caring for his patients definitely inspired me from an early age and actually the whole team I work with I find I find my team from our practice manager and our practice management staff to to our therapists to our doctors they're all inspirational to me Um, and yes I'm you know I'm very proud and privileged to be working with such amazing people um yes and it can be as you say it can be just anybody can be inspiring
1: absolutely and um people who are great leaders and do inspire do you think that these people um come with certain innate qualities or do you think that you can actually learn how to become a good leader and an inspiration as you develop throughout your life and your career
0: i think anybody can um Become a great leader. I think we all have have greatness within us, um, incredible powers within us that we're often not able to recognise because quite early on in life, children have um, start to develop limiting beliefs. You know, a teacher may say, "Oh, that's mm. not you know that's not very good piece of work you've done." Or, for example, I can remember my mum telling them their handwriting was spidery and. Just a throwaway comment can really limit beliefs of people as they grow up. Um, I thought I wasn't very academic at school and I never really thought I was going to do anything in a very big leadership role. But I was very passionate about helping people and I had a vision when I was very young of creating a children's castle. It was going to be then where we had a very holistic approach to supporting people and I would say that one of the things that I do think that makes a difference um, in a lot of cases is where somebody's been through adversity that that can create incredible understanding of other people's people's difficulties and also self-awareness and it can be having a some kind of a breakdown can lead to incredible breakthroughs. And a lot of the business leaders I know who are really inspiring and, and other leaders have been through some some great adversity and, or a number of adversities which I have um, experienced in my life that I've learned to think of as kind of gifts along the way that have helped, helped me in getting to where I am now with the people I am. With now, doing what I do now, and I think sometimes we can see adversity as something really terrible, but it can be an opportunity to grow. And this current time that we're in, I think it is an opportunity to grow and to change some things for the better.
1: Absolutely and um it's often said isn't it that times of difficulty and crisis do bring out the best in people and i think as an experience sort of being thrust out of your comfort zone can be hugely um important in no one's development can't it and really beneficial in fact
0: Absolutely it can it really can and um just on being inspired um i i would like to just touch on you know the children that we see and how inspirational they are um, as a, a therapist who um I do hands on therapy with children, I I find being with a child and a, or a young person, it helps you to really be in the moment, which is so important to be um to be in the present, to be in the now and um just by following the lead of a child it can really be be um incredibly um, Grounding—there's probably other words I could use to describe it—but when you really focus on what a child is saying and what a child is doing, it, it can be so inspiring, and they can come out with the most beautiful, incredible ideas and, and reflections on things that um, are just awe-inspiring. So, yeah, I feel I feel very fortunate to be working with
2: children.
1: It's a really, really important point that you uh, mentioned there, Joe, because you talked um, just a little bit earlier on about this um, sort of temptation to criticise, especially in this country, whereas I think what we should be doing is encouraging people, especially from an early age, isn't it? Encouraging children perhaps to express themselves. And if they do make mistakes, embrace it. Don't be afraid of failure. Learn from it and just enjoy the experience
0: absolutely because it's through mistakes that that's how we learn um and just trying it's just about trying and it's just about enjoying enjoying what you're doing and really um by encouraging each other child or adult um it's it's a really really wonderful thing to do being supportive and Yes, as you say, it's very easy to be critical at this time, and it can really be very damaging um, to be like that. So, to be supportive and collaborative, encouraging, and that, that's um, a really good thing to be
1: I think holding in mind
0: right. now. <laughs>
1: Mm, for sure and um if based upon your experience uh, Joe you could offer some advice to um the younger generations of emerging leaders who are out there what might you tell them
0: Oh what would i tell them I think what we were just saying before um believe in yourself believe in your the power within you that um that we all have. We all have incredible potential. And hold on to your dreams. Don't don't be put off by what other people say or what other people think. Hold on to your dreams and really go for them. Because um, for me, I had a dream in my 20s of having something like Star Jumps. It took me a very long time for that dream to manifest. But I held on to it for many years. And, and, and it has and so i think hold on to your
1: dreams and go for them i think that is very sound advice and it's something that everybody should be holding on to especially now um i have to say yeah uh, joe before we do wrap things up if we do think about the future do tell me what you think the next few months hold for yourself and for star jumps and what you really hope to achieve not only in navigating covid-19 but also in emerging from the pandemic as well
0: well, I think the next few weeks and months are, like for everyone, very uncertain for us. And we're finding it quite hard without any idea of how we might exit lockdown. Um, we can't really plan for the next phase of whatever the next phase might be. Um, and I do understand why the government um, has to be cautious and cannot just change things and um it may be some time before we know that. We are working hard right now to do as much as we can online and to develop services and resources to support people for the future while we're not able to do so much direct therapy. Um, we're, as, as we said, we're putting on hold some of our plans to open satellites and, um, and to launch charity um, we are on the positive side, seeing that the online um, resources and the video resources is a different way of extending our reach, which is is positive. Uh, I think looking to the future, we want to um, collaborate and engage with other organisations like ourselves. One to mention is Embracing Diversity Charity, um, who are bringing together people who want to support um, those with very diverse neurodevelopmental conditions and, and we want to work with other organisations and engage with policymakers to accelerate mm. change. So by being part of the parliamentary review um, we're hoping that we may be able to um, have a voice uh, and be heard and um, to be able to help to accelerate change. Um, I think We're like all organisations. It's a very um, challenging time in terms of, you know, not knowing how we're going to come out the other side of this, and whether we're going to then face a um, bit of a mountain to climb in terms of whether we're where we are financially. But um, we're very hopeful that once uh, the next few weeks are over and we're doing more online, that that will be fine and we've certainly been through star jumps has been through a lot of challenges already over the, over the years we've been going and I know this isn't going to stop us and we will bounce bounce back um, and I hope that everybody else who um, is struggling right now can also bounce back and perhaps in a way where our lives are are enriched by this time we've had to reflect on our health and well-being and to maybe make some changes to support all of us.
1: Absolutely. And let's hope we do start seeing uh, those positive changes borne out um, sooner rather than later as we start to see the fog lifting. Um, we are just about out of time, Joe, but it has been an absolute pleasure and also incredibly insightful having you on uh, today's programme. And what I think would be fantastic for the uh, listeners is to actually maybe have you back on in a few months' time to look at this retrospectively and just see how Star Jumps is doing and how things have played out and whether we're seeing those changes borne out as well thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak with me and share your views today
0: thank you so much scott i'd love to come back on and i'd love to bring dr georgie Siggers who's in the review with me and some maybe some of the other members of the team that would be fabulous and thank you very much for this opportunity
1: i think it would be wonderful to hear from both of you in the future thank you so much That was Joanna Brett, CEO and owner of Starjumps Children's Centre in Crowborough, East Sussex. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Joanna, and of course learning more about how the whole team at Starjumps is continuing to raise standards even throughout this challenging time. Coming up next on the programme, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with Lord David Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is an active member of the House of Lords, a former Labour MP and Secretary of State, and of course the Chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Despite being blind from birth, Lord Blunkett is one of the most prominent politicians of his generation, having held a number of senior positions in Tony Blair's cabinet and having served as the MP for Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough for 28 years. Lord Blunkett was elevated to the House of Lords in August 2015, anointed Baron Blunkett of Brightside and Hillsborough. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew enjoyed speaking with Lord Blunkett and that's coming up next.
2: Lord Blunkett, welcome. Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to. But we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery Whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced, both between services and productivity and and production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce, and I think that will have to be sustained for some time.
3: Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak?
2: I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local Thank you very much, and good luck to all those listening in what has been a nightmare scenario. Good luck for the future. Have courage, have confidence, and yes, listen to those who know more about business than I ever will.
1: Thank you, Lord Blunkett. Thank you. As always, it has been a pleasure both listening to and learning from our guests. I and Matthew O'Neill hope you all enjoyed listening. And until next time, since sadly all of the pubs are still closed, Matthew and I will be sitting in our respective front rooms with a bottle of Merlot and raising a glass to raising standards. Hopefully we can reoccupy our usual corner in the Westminster Arms soon. Remember, look after yourselves, stay at home and save lives. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find every episode on iTunes, YouTube, and Spotify. The views expressed by each guest in the podcast are their own. They do not represent the opinions of the Parliamentary Review, Westminster Publications, Lord Pickles, Lord Blunkett, David Curry, or any other guest on the podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Parliamentary
2: Review, please visit www.theparliamentaryreview.co.uk.